Um, I didn't introduce myself earlier, just in case there's anybody visiting. My name is Stephanie, and I'm one of the pastors here, along with Pastor Mike, who was up here earlier. And we've been having a conversation for the last three weeks, so you're in the fourth week, so let me just catch anybody up if this is your first time. No, no worries about that at all. Um, it's, it's Love Month, so we're talking about love. And so we're just, love is the title of what we're talking about. <laughs> and um, what we've been talking about is just the distinctions of God's love in our life. And so Michael kind of kicked it off talking about what it looks like for us to understand God's love as maybe distinct from the rest of the experiences of love we might have in the world. And then um, I talked a little bit about what it looks like for us to replace the fear that we have in our lives with God's love. And then um, last week we talked about how being able to love other people first is really the opportunity that we have as people who have received love from God. And then today I want to look at a passage where Jesus makes it really clear what it looks like to show love to him. And so we're going to kind of turn, the, turn it around in that way. So first, let's pray together, and then we'll jump into God's word. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I thank you for the privilege that it is to be here in this school. God, we are honored to be able to come and welcome your presence into this auditorium and to ask God humbly that your presence would remain in this place, that it would make a difference to the kids as they come back to school tomorrow, the faculty, the staff, um, each family. God, we pray for your hand to be upon them. We pray for a great week of learning. And in this time now, as we have cut out this time to, to listen to you, to focus on you, I pray that you'd speak to each person here this morning, that I wouldn't get in the way of what you want to say to them, but that you would use your word and use me to be able to be uh, directly communicating with these people that you so deeply love. So we pray that we would be people who are different when we walk out this morning than when we came in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I want to start out with something that I think most of you know about, and that is the five love languages. Who knows about this? Okay, so I put them on the screen in case anyone's like, you don't want you to feel bad. We're not going to get into it, but there's these five love languages, all these books. I'm sure a lot of money has been made. And this is the idea of like the way that you show love and the way that you receive love. Okay, and a lot of relationships, romantic or friendships, have been confused because people show love and receive love in different ways. And you know what? To make matters even more confusing, I don't think there's only five love languages. Right? There's more than that. So I collected a few more that I think many of you will notice other people have. So we'll just, I put them, I'll put them up on the screen, okay? So the first one is coffee. Does anyone else have this one? Okay. Mine is specifically cold press, extra soy, all year long. My love language is one of the main ones, not the only one. Okay, so the second one is, um, I love this little cat. My love language is silence and isolation. That's for you introverts. Where are you introverts? They're like, Ugh. Yep. We've got... Um, the, the love language of letting somebody sleep in, there's a sixth love language that's called letting me sleep in. That can be a big deal, depending on the situation. Um, I think there's quite a few of you, and unless I'm really confused, who have the love language of sarcasm. Yeah, it's, it's like, I'm not even going to raise my hand for that. Mm. This one, I think many of you have, you might have even shared this recently, and that is the love language of tacos. People have got the love language of tacos. How about this one? Going to Target alone is my love language. That one is thrown out there for the parents, I think, most specifically. But we can all appreciate a Target run. Just a time with a bunch of strangers looking at a bunch of things you don't need. It's amazing. And then uh, we can take the taco one just a little bit deeper. So the, the taco love language, I'm told, can actually fit into all five love languages. So words of affirmation, your tacos are delicious. Acts of service, I made you tacos. Receiving gifts. Here's a taco. Quality time, let's go out for tacos. And then finally, physical touch, let me hold you like a taco. <laughs> Isn't that great? 
You know, tacos, all of the love language is encompassing. There's also a Target one for these too, for you Target lovers. Acts of service, I'm going to Target, do you want anything? You can still go alone with that one. Second, quality time, want to go to Target with me? To spend some quality time. Uh, words of affirmation, I love you like I love Target. <laughs> Gifts, I got you something from Target. And then physical touch, pushing the perfect cart at Target with no squeaky wheels. It's amazing. And this person who posted this said, not sure I'll ever love someone like I love Target, to be honest. They were just confessing that, I guess. So we've, we've spent three weeks talking about this immense love of God and, and how never-ending it is and how unconditional God's love is. And it's kind of fun to talk about love languages and the ways in which we express love because we're all very different people. Absolutely. But I, I love this idea now for us to say, okay, if God's love is never-ending, if it is uh, unique in the way that it is unconditional, if God's love is so lavish, we talked about God's love is reckless, we were singing that song this morning, if that is true, then what does it look like for us to love God? So just to make it a little cheesy, what would we say is Jesus' love language? Just, I was hoping like a uh, groan or something, but you know. What's Jesus' love language? If we've received this amazing unending love, how might we respond to a God who loves us that recklessly? And I love that Jesus is with his disciples right before he died, and he actually made a really clear statement about what loving him looks like. So we're going to dig into that today. He, he expressed how would he know that someone loved him, and, it, and he made it pretty clear. And so it's going to be in John 14 if you have a Bible. We'll have it up here on the screen. Let me just set the stage for what's happening here at this time in John 14. If you look towards the end of the book of John, you realize that quite a bit of this book is actually dedicated to Jesus' last few days, maybe last week of his life before he died and before the three days and then came back to life in the resurrection. And so an interestingly long amount of the book of John is devoted to the things that Jesus wanted to say to the people who were his friends, to these brothers and sisters of his, to these people who had, had been with him through some significant things for at least three years, and they're, they've gotten very close. And so you can imagine that if he's about to go to the cross, uh, a part of the story that we now understand that there was, there was a lot that someone might have to say to the people that you love before that happens. Some of you have been in experiences like that with people who are nearing the end of their life, and there's a lot that you feel like you need to say. And so I think Jesus had a lot that he wanted to say. And so John 14, I'm actually going to read a chunk of it. So I want you to, to listen closely to it. 15 to 30, I'm going to read this. It's actually just a little bit of a lot of things that Jesus is saying to these people he loves. And right before this part that I'm going to read, Jesus has made it very clear that he's going to be betrayed by them and that he's going to lose his life. And he's trying to explain to them that the, the reason he needs to do that is to express the lavishness of his love, to show how reckless this love is and that people won't understand if he doesn't give everything, it won't be the kind of love that he has been trying to talk about all this time. But of course, that's confusing to them. Why, why, why does that have to happen? Some of us still wonder about that, right? 2,000 years later, we've been thinking and processing and trying to understand what it means, what Jesus accomplished on the cross, his death and resurrection, and we still have a lot to mull over, don't we? And so here Jesus is talking to these people, and they're pretty confused. They're, they're having a hard time digesting this information. And, and then Jesus tries to comfort them, okay? And he says, you don't have to let your hearts be troubled. Okay, if I'm there, I'd have been like, listen, Jesus, you just said some pretty scary stuff. I don't know about this not troubling our hearts thing, yet Jesus is saying, uh, I need you to know that you don't have to be troubled, and, and it's on his heart to express this to them. And so as I read this part, he's trying to encourage his friends, and what I want you to listen to, almost in your mental notes, take, take a note of tell in a tally almost, 
of the things that Jesus is asking of his followers, of his disciples, of his friends, and then the things that Jesus says that, that God, that he, the Father, Son, and Spirit is going to do. Make a mental note of, the, of how many things are asked of the followers of Jesus and how many things are promised by Jesus as I read this, okay? So John 14, starting in verse 15. So right in the middle, if you have a Bible with red letters, there's lots and lots of red, meaning Jesus is talking. So right in the middle here, he picks it up and he says, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives within you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, important detail, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Can you imagine how urgent he must have felt to say these things to them? You heard me say that I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what the Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. I love that he says, I'm not going to say much more to you, and then I just have lots more read for the next few pages, but yes. I think that's how some people feel about me, so we're fine. And so in this, in this passage here at the end, there's this distinction that the prince of the world, he's talking about the enemy. This enemy does not have any hold over me, but he's coming, and so I am going to submit my will to the Father. I'm going to do what I know I need to do. So this tally maybe you had in your mind of the things Jesus is asking and then the things that Jesus promises. You hear Jesus say, I think, three different times something to the effect of, if you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you will obey the things that I've taught to you. Verse 15, verse 21. And then verse 28, if you love me, you'll be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. What I think Jesus is saying here, if you love me, you will have the same priorities as me. Okay, so this is what Jesus is asking, okay? Now, what is Jesus promising in just this small amount of verses? That God will be with us, right? Verse 16, the Father will give you another advocate, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit lives with you and will be in you, in verse 17. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. Significant language choice here. I will come to you. If you've been with us these last few weeks, we've been talking about how unheard of it would be that the God of the universe would come to you and and move towards humans. That's not the way people had thought about the gods in the past. They were distant and far off and usually very angry. 
Jesus says that he's going to reveal what he's doing to us. The one who loves me is going to be loved by my Father, and I too will love them, and I will show myself to them. And the Holy Spirit will remind you of the things that I have said, right? It says in verse 23 that God, that my Father will love them and come to them and make our home with them. I love that. This idea that, that God, Father, Son, and Spirit wants to abide with us, live, abide, make, make home with God's people. God will give us peace. You see that comparison that Jesus gives? I don't give the way the world gives. I give this peace. The Holy Spirit gives this peace. I give this peace to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. And then Jesus says, because I will live, so too will you live. In my opinion, Jesus is saying a lot more about what God is going to do here than what what Jesus is asking of us. It does, that, all that stuff, just all of that list of things, man, this is the love we've been talking about. This immense and, and lavish love. Jesus is, is saying all this, but he's also quick to say, and if you want me to know that, 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 that you love me, then, then do the things we've been talking about. <laughs> and try to try, try to step into these commands that we've talked about these last three years, everything that I've been about, everything that I've shown you. The Holy Spirit will remind you, you don't have to try to remember it all. But try to step into these things. For all this that Jesus says he will do, Jesus asks that we would show our love by trying to do what he said, by trying to be obedient to what God says is what is best for us. At the end of the day, I think for all of this unending love that God offers us, God wants in return us, our minds, our hearts, and our lives. That's where that obedience part comes in. God wants us to give ourselves back to a God who gave everything for us. I think that it's interesting here that Jesus invites us to respond in this, this loving obedience to commands. He uses this word commands. I think in the first century, there would have been some confusion around the concept of commands, similar that there might be to us today. I don't know about you, but for a lot of, time, a lot of people, when we hear this idea of commands, it feels like control. Like maybe what God's about is just wanting to control us like we're little Lego figures or something like that, or, or God's just trying to, to manipulate people. And I think there are people in the first century that had that understanding too, but, but I don't think that's the heart that we see here of God because if God is love, then, then any commands have to be fueled and an overflow of that love. And so, so God loves us enough to express God's best for us. Those of you who have kids, you love your kids enough to express to them your heart of what you think is best for them. This is who God is. It's not about control. And this is distinctly different, isn't it, when you think about all the other earthly relationships that you have? This expression of love, this invitation to, to surrender, to obedience, is, is distinct. It's different with Jesus because Jesus is God, and we're not. Every once in a while we need that reminder, but Jesus is God, and we're not. And so surrender to his authority to choose to listen to the voice of God in our everyday lives, is the deepest way to show our love for a God who first loved us. This is what Jesus is saying, I think, pretty clearly here. But I think you can also notice that Jesus isn't requiring it. Do you see how he said, I promise all of these things, and he didn't say, if you love me and you do what I say, then I'll do all these things for you, but really it was, show me that you love me by doing these things because these are my promises to you. It's not a requirement, it's an opportunity to respond. We don't surrender to Jesus to earn God's love, but because of it. Here's the thing that I hope you, re- you remember, if there's anything you remember from this morning. We'll put it up on the screen. We surrender to Jesus' authority in our lives not to earn God's love, but because of it. 
We surrender to Jesus' authority in our lives, not to earn God's love, but because of it. And Jesus even says here, he's imitating this, right? He says in verse 31 that, that the son loves the father, so he's going to do what the father commands because in that moment, he's taken on the flesh of a human, and so he's modeling that for us, that he's going to do the hardest thing that a human could ever do and give his life for those that he loves. So I, I think there's no question that we could get into the weeds for a long time about exactly how we live out those commands. What exactly is Jesus asking of us? Absolutely, lifelong pursuit to figure that out, okay? Absolutely a difficult thing to do. It's also difficult, I don't know if you've had this experience, to really discern what God might be saying to us in our everyday life. There's a lot of, I call it interference, that happens in this current time where we are right now where God's kingdom is coming but it's not here fully yet and so there's interference in what God's saying. It's confusing to know what God's saying to us so then sometimes it's hard to be obedient to that because it's confusing. Absolutely. I also think it's true that if we were to all talk about what it looks like to live out the commands of Jesus, we'd have different opinions, I think. Like maybe enough opinions as there are people in the room. Because that's normal. We're trying to wrestle with that. It's a lifelong pursuit to understand this. I think it can be very difficult, and it takes a whole lifetime of us trying, just trying. And here's the thing. We'll never reach perfection. I see you people who want to reach perfection. I know you. It's not a thing. It's not a thing. We have to recognize that it's about an invitation that Jesus is giving to say, I know you love me if you try. If you really give your heart to it and you try to step into these things that I am saying to you, this is what's best for you. And Jesus makes it pretty clear, kind of the, the summation of all the things that he commanded, right? He makes that very clear. He says the, the, the commands can all come down to these commands. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. We talk about that a lot here at Mill City. But even that command, isn't it hard to wrestle through exactly what that looks like? Totally. But I think it means, at its core, that we are pursuing human dignity in ourselves and other people because we are image bearers of God. God created us in God's image. And so when we look at ourselves in the mirror and we look at our neighbor, no matter how different they are than us, our call, our command is to pour that love towards that person and say, you have dignity and you have worth as someone who is made in the image of God. And you give that to yourself. You have to offer that sense of dignity to yourself. And so when we, when we in any way, which is very hard to totally know exactly how this works, but whenever we're degrading ourselves, our hearts, our minds, our bodies, or the hearts or minds or bodies of any other human being made in the image of God, that is not what God wants for us. But it's so clear what God wants for us. Obedience to those greatest commands. To try. To try to love ourselves even when it's hard. To try to love other people even when we're frustrated with them. Even when they might be our enemies. And above all this, to love God with our words and our heart, but also our actions, our, our obedience. We pursue obedience in these two greatest commandments out of our love for our neighbor, out of love for ourselves, but most importantly, our love for God. We surrender to Jesus' authority, not because we want to earn God's love, but because of it. So this is, this is key. It's key that this, I think you, when you're reading Jesus' words here, it's pretty key that it's not about legalism here. It's not even about a, a, a rules or some sort of list of things you need to do or not do. I just don't hear that in this passage. I don't know if you do. But I think that it's important to recognize that our relationship with God is not a contract, it's a covenant. Right? That's very, very different. The difference between a contract and a covenant, some of you, probably all of you, unless you're maybe under 18, have some sort of contract with somebody. Right? You signed something at some point 
to lease a car or to join some sort of, of gym or something like that. You've signed contracts in your life. Many of you have also entered into some sort of covenant. Some of us have a covenant relationship with our friends, with a spouse. Uh, people who are part of covenant membership here at Mill City have committed to a covenant with each other to, to, to serve and love each other, to live out our mission together. Um, there's covenants that people make. I think when you adopt children, there's a covenant there. And there's covenants all over the place. But a contract is pretty different than a covenant, isn't it? Tracking with me? Okay, so just for, just for fun and just for clarity, let's do an example of both, okay? So I'm going to tell you about a contract that I'm in, and I'm going to tell you about a, a covenant that I'm in. Cool? Okay, so contract. I love my gym. Okay, love. I love it. I love going there. I love being there. I had to sign a contract to get a gym membership. All right, that's usually part of the deal. And so I went online to actually see what did I sign. Should have probably read it all, but then it doesn't matter. And um, I looked at it, and I was like, oh, maybe I'll print it out this morning. No, it was 48 pages long, single-space, 12-point font. So you're welcome for not killing any trees. And I just will tell you some of the highlights of the 48-page contract that I signed to be a member at Lifetime Fitness, which I love in a certain way. There was a lot in the proper conduct section, okay? There was a whole section on general hygiene. Hmm. We expect you to uphold general personal hygiene. Some people at my gym are not upholding this. I'm positive of that. Then there was don't steal stuff, break stuff, try to sell stuff, don't bring in animals, drugs, alcohol, or contagious diseases. That was, there, was, there was more on that list, but that was some of it. Um, there was pages and pages about paying the money on time. <laughs> you can believe that. And then there was a whole page and a half about refunds. And when you read it, it basically states you can't get a refund. So that was strange as well. But I love my gym. I do. Okay, now let's contrast that in a different way, okay? So I brought uh, show and tell. This is the, the written out vows from my wedding. JD and I have barely made it two years, so here we go, almost two years. And uh, we have our vows written up here, and we hang it up in our bedroom. And the reason that we do that is because we want to remember what we promised <laughs> about that. And so after every wedding that we go to, which hasn't been a ton in two years, we read, we read our wedding vows to each other because I know I haven't memorized them yet. Have you memorized them? So we read them to each other. So let me read our vows to you so you can hear the difference between maybe that contract that I just read and the commitments that JD and I made on our wedding day. Some of you were there. So it says, Covenant Vows, March 18th, 2017. I, Jonathan David, take you, Stephanie Kay, to be my wife. Some people just found out you were Jonathan David. It's Jonathan David. It's biblical. <laughs> Two, yeah, yeah. I, Jonathan David, take you, Stephanie Kay, to be my wife my best friend and constant companion, faithful partner and deepest love. I promise to listen and respond to both your heart and God's heart for us. I promise to pursue you, both you and God, with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. In the presence of God and our family and friends, I give myself to you. In sickness and in health, in good times and in bad, in joy and in sorrow, in faith and in doubt, in times of clarity and uncertainty, I promise to honor, respect, and cherish you for as long as we both shall live. Sounds pretty different than my contract, my 48-page contract that I have with my gym, doesn't it? Notice how these words are more about things that we promise to do rather than like a list of things, do's and don'ts, right? They're promises that come from our hearts, and most of these promises, all of these promises, are things that we're not going to be able to do perfectly, yet we still promise them to each other. It's so important that we see a difference between a contract and a covenant is that a covenant is not about rules or refunds or anything like that. It's about relationship. 
God invites us into a relationship that's not based on transactions, but you better believe that it's absolutely an invitation to transformation. And this relationship has changed us in two years, probably more than the last 20 behind all that because of trying to live this promise. Okay, so now imagine this with me. Imagine JD, right there. Imagine him standing up there in his suit and, and he's getting all teary-eyed and he's saying these words to me and his voice is cracking with emotion. He's just really feeling it and he's read all of them. So he gets to the end and he's saying, he said, in faith and in doubt, choking up. Just imagine this, you know. He was really emotional. Okay. In times of clarity and uncertainty, I promise to honor, respect, and cherish you for as long as we both shall live. He said all these meaningful words. And what if at the end of him expressing all of that to me, I said something like, wow, that's amazing. I love you too. I mean, no, no promises about doing those things, but that's really great. What nice things to say. I mean, that would, be, that would be very odd, right? There would be mass anxiety in the room if someone were to do something like that. We're to respond to those kinds of promises without giving a promise. And sometimes I wonder if we hold back offering those same promises back to God, and it's almost as awkward as that. What if we were people who received the unending love of God and were so compelled by how amazing that love is that we promise we can do everything we can, the best of our ability, even in the midst of our failures, to do what we can to show that love back to God? We promise that we want to try. God is the only covenant partner that will never break a single promise. I broke like half of those yesterday, okay? <laughs> I, the listening one, for instance, yeah. So it's hard, but guess what? I'm going to try today to do it again, and tomorrow I'm going to try, and the next day, because I love J.D., and I want to show him that. Knowing that we won't hold up the end of our part of the covenant, God covenanted with us. God did that and gave those promises that God wouldn't break, knowing that we won't be able to do it perfectly, yet still invites us to promise that we'll try. We promise, then, let me add that word to the statement I said earlier. We promise to surrender to Jesus' authority in our lives, not to earn God's love, but because of it. So I don't know about you, but surrendering to God's authority, it's not as exciting as maybe other things that we could have experienced in our faith. I think being somebody who promises to Jesus that you're going to try to live out his commands, it sometimes can feel a little stiff and legalistic. I know I've experienced that in my life. And if it feels like that to you, then my guess is, is that it's not being compelled by that love that God's, God's offered to you that you can receive. And so in my experience, it's really easy that we can lose sight of that aspect of God's love and it can get kind of transactional. I don't know if you've experienced that, but I have. And I think it's kind of like a road. I think of this kind of illustration a lot. There's this road and there's two ditches, one on either side. And this one ditch is the legalism, perfectionism side. It leads usually to self-righteousness, yikes, and often to failure because you can't. You can't live all these things out perfectly. But the other ditch that we sometimes fall into is one of kind of apathy, one that's kind of has a lack of concern for what God might really want for us. And it usually leads to rationalizing what you kind of want to do. It usually leads to not even asking God what God might lead you towards and not bringing other people into those conversations. I don't know about you, but I've been in both of these ditches. And I think staying on the road looks like being people who choose loving obedience to a God who first loved us. Staying on the road looks like choosing to say to Jesus, I promise I'm going to try. I'm going to do the best that I can. 
I'm going to have Ashish come up, and I'm just going to give this last few minutes as a little bit of space for you all to just process what I'm talking about. We've been kind of surveying people's experience here at Mill City, and a lot of people have said, you know what, just give me a little bit of space. Sometimes, Pastor Steph, you have a lot of words. So let me just give you that. And what I'm inviting you is to consider what Jesus has done for you. So I'm going to actually start by giving you something to imagine. So if you feel comfortable, you can just close your eyes and relax. I'm not going to ask you to do anything crazy. And I want you just to imagine something with me, okay? Take your imagination to this place. Imagine the feeling that you have when you're at a wedding, okay? Not all weddings, but this is a good one. This is your best friend's wedding. And you're so excited for them that they're getting married. So imagine in your heart, you just feel the sense of your heart bursting with the thought that somebody loves your friends so well and so much that they're going to speak vows of love to them. And you're sitting there thinking, oh man, I'm so glad that my friend has something, somebody who loves them like this. So imagine that feeling of your heart just swelling. You're holding all of that love. And then just imagine bringing that into this room today. This isn't a wedding day, but this is a day. Imagine bringing all of that, that love in your heart into this room, but instead of feeling overwhelmed with the love being shown to your friend, it's you. You are the recipient of the amazing love. You are the one who's being loved in a deep and powerful way. And so imagine Jesus with, with tears in his eyes and his voice cracking with emotion saying to you, just like he did to these friends that we just read about in John 14, he's saying, I love you. I promise you my presence. I promise to guide you. I promise you don't have to be afraid because I will always be with you. I promise you my faithfulness. I surrendered everything to show you my love in the most radical way. I gave my life to show my love for you. I promise to be trustworthy. I promise you my deep and unending peace. I promise there is nowhere you can run from my love. I promise to be waiting with open arms whenever you lose your way. I promise that even when you fail, my love won't fail you. I love you because I love you, because I love you, because I love you. And if you're not ready to respond to that in your heart, that's okay. But if you are, just give you a minute. What might you want to promise to Jesus in return? Maybe there's just anything you want to express to God. I'll just give you a minute. You can keep your eyes shut. I imagine that some of you, it was easy that you had a lot of things you wanted to promise to God and for others it was just hard to even know what to say and, you know, I didn't give you enough time, etc. But let me just offer a suggestion as you just continue to ponder this in your heart. Let me suggest today that the promise that you can make to Jesus today is this, the phrase, so will I. We've been singing a song here that's kind of become an anthem, I think, for a lot of us and we'll sing it after we practice communion, but in return to those promises that Jesus makes to us, can we say, so will I? 
You promise me your presence, then so will I promise myself to be present to you. You surrendered and gave your life for me, then so will I surrender my life to you. You promise to be faithful, so will I. You promise to be trustworthy, so will I. You promise to never give up running after me, so I will never give up trying to pursue you. You promise your love won't fail me, so I trust your love even when I fail. You gave your life out of love for my neighbor, so will I. All of your creation obeys you, so will I. I love you, and I want to show you because you love me, because you love me, because you love me, because you love me. I'm going to invite the band to come back up, and we're going to go into our time of communion. But here's the thing. If we want to join God's work in the world, if we want to love our community in the name of Jesus, if we want to be people who have a mission and a purpose, it starts with surrender to the leader who is worthy of all authority and honor and praise. Sometimes we want to be a part of those exciting things without entering into this commitment, this promise, this difficult thing to do sometimes. But God is with us, and it's because of that love that we're able to try and to, to offer that promise. It's not out of legalism. It's not to earn God's love. You can't do anything to earn more of God's love, and you can't do anything to lose it. We will never experience a love like the powerful love that God has for us. So when you come up today to, to take communion, and let me just, I'll tell you exactly what to do if you're new with us. I want to invite you to consider that, that Jesus is saying to you, I have given my life for you, and you're coming to say, so will I give my life back to you. It's a simple thing, and for me, I have to do it more than once a week. But I think that's all that Jesus asks, that we'll try to give ourselves back to him every time that we can. So if you're somebody who's pursuing Jesus in your life, if you're trying to figure out what it means to be in relationship with him or you are in relationship with him, you're welcome to come and practice communion with us. We've got gluten-free bread. You just take it, dip it into the cup, and you just form two lines here and we go this way. And then there'll be some people on the walls here. We would love to pray for you about anything. Even if you don't have something to say, you just want prayer, just say pray for me and those people will pray for you. They would love to do that. So let us do that and come when you feel ready.